Well, let me just give you all my own words of welcome. It's good to see you all in God's house tonight. It's a blessing to my soul to see you all gathered in together. And I picked these hymns purposely, that last one especially. I love to tell about what the Lord has done for me and for my soul. But I'm already going to get off note here. Our brother Jim read there in the book of Romans chapter 10. And I can't let that go without commenting on it before I forget. Because this described me before I was saved. In those beginning verses of Romans chapter 10. Not that I had a desire for the Lord. As Paul said there in verse 1. But what was true of me was this. I was ignorant of God's righteousness going about to establish my own righteousness and not submitting myself unto the righteousness was God. I had a way that I thought was right unto me. But I'm thinking of a word that Solomon wrote in the Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so what is the answer here for the person who is ignorant of God's righteousness? Well, the Apostle Paul says it further on down in the chapter in verse 8. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith which we preach. It's the gospel which I was ignorant of. I had my own thoughts about what I needed to do to be saved, to be right with the Lord. The word has gone forth. And something else that was true of me, he says here at the end of the chapter, in verse 20, Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. I was not seeking after the Lord. No way, shape, or form was I looking for the Lord. But that's a verse of divine grace, sovereign mercy, found of them. The Lord, I would found the Lord even though I was not seeking for him. So in giving a word of testimony, I think the scripture gives us a few reasons why it's a good thing to give a word of personal testimony. I want to read just a few portions of scripture. One is from Psalm 77. Psalm 77. And the psalmist says this in verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast redeemed with thine arm, with thine arm redeemed thy people, even the sons of Jacob and Joseph. I think it's a benefit to God's people to rehearse in their minds what the Lord has done for them personally, to meditate upon the works of God for their own soul. I think there's also a benefit in the word of testimony for the Lord's people. Back a few chapters in Psalm 66, 
the psalmist says this, verse 16, Come and hear, all ye that fear God. So he's talking to the Lord's people. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. So I think there's a benefit to the believer himself or herself. I think there's a benefit given to God's people in the word of testimony. And in the book of Acts, chapter 26, the apostle Paul is before Festus and before Agrippa. And this is one of a number of times that he gives his testimony. If you're familiar with the apostle Paul, he was once Saul of Tarsus, great persecutor of the church of Christ. And on the road up to Damascus, he met the Lord. He was saved. And verse 18 of chapter 26 of the book of Acts, he was saved for this purpose. Verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And this was a purpose, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The once persecutor of the church became the mighty apostle Paul. So as he's given testimony to Agrippa and Festus in Acts chapter 26, look what he says in verse 27. He's given his testimony to Agrippa. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That's a dangerous statement. For somebody to hear the gospel, to hear about our Lord Jesus Christ going to Calvary, suffering, bleeding, and dying for the sins of his people, and yet he only says, Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. There was never any evidence after this point here that Agrippa came to the Lord. Almost thou persuadest me. But what was Paul's desire in giving testimony? Verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. He wanted them to be like him, a Christian, joined to Christ, saved by grace, except, of course, these bonds, the chains that he wore for the gospel. And in the giving of testimony, there's no room for glory for man. I like what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. Again, he briefly gives a word of testimony. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13, he tells them, You have heard of my conversation. You have heard of my manner of life in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. This was a religious man. Saul of Tarsus was a religious man, but he persecuted the church of Christ. Verse 14, profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my father. And they says this in verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. And then the last two verses 
of that first chapter, he says this, They heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed, and they glorified God in me. That is the purpose of giving a word of personal testimony. The glory of God. They glorified God because of what he had done in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I like what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in that 10th verse. He simply says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I do believe there's a purpose in the giving a word of personal testimony, a number of reasons. For myself, the struggle was, how do you give a word of personal testimony and yet talk about yourself as little as possible? That's my desire, because I have nothing to glory in of myself. We had the verse from Jonah 2.9 on the wall behind us, and that's gospel truth. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is the Lord's work from beginning to end. If man would have put his hand to it, he could only corrupt it or pollute it. Man contributes nothing to his salvation. The work has been done by Christ at Calvary. But briefly, for those of you who don't know, I was raised Roman Catholic by a mother and a father who sent their four boys to Catholic school, but they themselves never went to church as far as I can remember. But they sent us along to Catholic school. So there was 13 years of Catholic education, and along with Catholic education, some you know religious training in Roman Catholicism, but I would not call it biblical Christianity. It was religious instruction in Roman Catholicism. So there was eight years, nine years, if you count kindergarten and eighth grade, and then four years in high school. But it was in that summer between eighth grade and ninth grade when I had turned 14 years old. It was a kind of a turning point in my life because I was leaving the oversight of elementary school where they have a little more control over you. And at the same time, I was entering high school where you have a little more freedom. My parents had also separated. So there was a couple of levels of restraint that were removed from me, removed from the home. So it was at that time, the summer of 1973, when I was 14 year old, 14 years old, that I was first introduced to a life of drugs and alcohol. At, at 14. But my sin was my own. I was introduced to it. I enjoyed it. And I continued in it uninterrupted for 11 years, except for three months of basic training in the Marine Corps, where I was cut off from everything. For 11 years, almost without interruption, I did one thing or another. And I want to turn, before I forget, to a verse. I love this about, it's a verse that describes Moses. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11. And it says this about Moses in verse 24. By faith Moses, 
when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And it's those words here at the end of that 25th verse that I want you to hear. He chose the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's the danger in sin. There's pleasure in it. If there were no pleasure in sin, there would be no temptation. If they're not going to get pleasure, enjoyment, or some satisfaction out of it, you think, there's no temptation. But that is the temptation. But listen to what it says. The pleasures of sin for a season. Those pleasures that you may get from sin last a short time. Oh, I can remember so many mornings I had regretted the night before. But think about this life that you have to live. You could live to be 100 years old. You could live to be as old as Methuselah was, 969 years old. Yet if you died without Christ, that pleasure is over. And now you've got an eternity of hell apart from Christ. The pleasures of sin only last for a season. In thy presence is fullness of joy, the psalmist said. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. To be joined to Christ, to be saved by grace, is to enjoy the Lord forever, for eternity, instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And the sad thing was, I learned by painful experience what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13. The way of transgressors is hard. The life of sin is a hard life. I learned it by personal experience, sad to say. And in Luke chapter 15, aside from going in any detail at all, I can just sum it up with these words of Scripture. You're aware, many of you, of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, when it describes the prodigal, in verse 13, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, wasted his substance with riotous living. So that sums up. That sums up those 11 years wasted. Wasted substance with riotous living. And that word riotous, I tried to get a definition of it, and actually it could kind of be connected to a word that means unsavedness, if that makes sense to you in the English. That was me. In my life, riotous living, unsavedness. I wasn't saved, didn't know the Lord, didn't have any desire for the Lord, had only desire for sin. So that was me. That was my life for 11 years. From the time that I was 14 years old until the time that I turned 25. So we fast forward to 1984, and now I am 25 
years old. And what I thought was a chance meeting with someone, Tony Carosi's, many of you know Tony, his cousin George. Never met him before in my life. I happened to meet him. And he says to me, upon meeting me, you need to be born again. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this guy? I mean, what are you talking about? He didn't have a Bible in front of him. So he's quoting from John chapter 3. And I want to read a portion from John chapter 3. Many of you are familiar with this portion of Scripture. John chapter 3, if you have a Bible in front of it. Because when he had told me that I needed to be born again, I had no idea what he was talking about. So John chapter 3, this is the Lord Jesus Christ meeting with Nicodemus. And it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answers and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus, like myself, has no idea what the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to tell him. So verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Three times. Three times in these first seven verses, Christ tells Nicodemus, he must be born again. Unless a man, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now I want to go down to verse 14 of John 3. Mo the Lord Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus, and now it's about Moses. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In that 18th verse, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So although he did not have a copy of God's word in front of him, and he quoted to me this portion. And also, Peter also talks about the need for the new birth. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Because I did not see it come from the scripture, and even though I wasn't saved, I still was taught the Bible was God's word. I had no idea what was in it. 
I never read it. I'm sure I was given some type of instruction, but I honestly could not tell you what it was. When he first told me I needed to be born again, I'm thinking this must be some kind of cult. What is, what is this born again stuff? I'm picturing, you know, drugs and hippies and I did not understand. But you know what? I could not understand. The sinner that hears the gospel, unless the spirit of God moves upon his heart, he cannot understand. He cannot understand what's being said. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 2, and verse 14. The apostle Paul writes this, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. An unsaved person coming to the word of God cannot understand what's being said. I did not understand. I could not understand what was being said to me. So I thought to myself, this fellow is telling me I need to be born again. I'm going to fix him. He invited me to church, and I went along with him, and I thought, well, when I see this pastor, what I'm going to say to him is, you showed me in the Bible where it says I need to be born again. And of course, I did that, and you know what happened. He turned to John chapter 3, and he showed me that, and I kind of just went away. I didn't immediately believe it because it was written in the Word of God, but at least I now I knew it was God's Word. But like I said from the beginning when Jim was reading from Romans chapter 10, I was ignorant of God's righteousness. I went about to establish my own righteousness, which apart from biblical Christianity, every religion is a works religion. What do you do? What can you do to earn favor with God? To earn your way, to buy your way, perhaps, by your charity into heaven. But of course, I was mistaken. So when he says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, one of the things we also saw from Romans 10 was that speaks about the Word of God. And in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to read a few verses to you. Peter writes this, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he makes mention of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and James and John were on the mount with our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 18, verse 17, he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter's recounting what took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and James or John are up there with the Lord. The Lord is, is transfigured before. They see the glory of Christ. They hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But I want you to pay attention to what Peter says. <clears throat> we have also a more sure word of prophecy. 
We have a more sure word than the audible voice that we heard when we were on the mount. And what's he saying? The prophecy of the scripture. No prophecy of the scripture of as any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved. What? By the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. Peter is saying we have a more sure word in the Bible than we had that audible voice that we heard on the mount. And when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, I used to work with a fellow, and his argument to me always was, ah, the Bible's written by man. That was just his way of brushing it off, claiming he's not bound to it, doesn't have to believe it, doesn't have to read it. But I'm here to tell you, this is God's word. Whether or not you ever read it or believe it, doesn't cease to be God's word. There was a fellow, many of you the New Family Radio, back in the early age I used to listen to. His name was Bob Cook. And that's something he always said. The Bible is the word of God, whether or not anybody reads or believes it. So if you think you can say, well, this is not God's word. I don't have to listen to it. I'm not bound by it. That's your prerogative. It doesn't cease to be God's word. He wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. See what he's saying? You didn't receive it as if it was only the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe it. They received it for what it was, the word of God. And in, Tim- in 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes these words to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. He says that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So the apostle Paul's telling Timothy, the holy scriptures, the word of God, are able to make thee wise unto salvation. The word of God tells you what you need to do to be saved through faith that is in Christ Jesus. And he says this in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That literally means it's God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, And look at this last part, instruction in righteousness. So for someone who had gone about to establish their own righteousness, ignorant of God's righteousness, this is the solution. The word of God is profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's what I came to learn. But as of yet, I still was not saved. So I want to go back to Luke's gospel. And the prodigal. Luke chapter 15. Because this describes me. This describes the sinner. He takes his way. He leaves. He goes out into a far country. He wastes his substance with riotous living. He spends all. There's a mighty famine in the land. He begins to be in want. He's feeding the pigs. 
He's away from God. He's away from the Father. And that's the condition of every sinner. That was my condition. Now maybe you're here today and you think, well, wait a minute. I didn't live that life you lived. I never did those things you did. Well, irregardless of that, you're away from God and you need Christ. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. He didn't say some of you have gone astray. No, he says all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says it as well. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. All gone out of the way. Verse 17. And the way of peace have they not known. That wasn't just me. That was everybody. Every man, woman, child. Out of the way. Into the far country. But there's something that he says here. Something that he says here in verse 17. When he came to himself. He said. How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare. And I perish with hunger. He came to himself. There was a night. When I was 25 years old. Not too long after I had heard that I needed to be born again. Not too long after I told what I was needed to do to be saved. That I had fallen asleep watching television. And I woke up, I don't know what time it was, 12, 1 o'clock. One of those late night talk shows were on. And there was two men talking about death. I don't know who they were. All I remember is what the one man said to the other one. He said, the people don't like to talk about death because they think that it's morbid. But he said, once you die, you can't change anything you've done in this life. And that verse there, when it says, he came to himself, immediately the Lord had my attention. And I knew, I knew that I wasn't saved, and I knew I wasn't prepared to meet the Lord. And so the next day, I sought out this fellow, had him send for the pastor, and he led me to Christ. I was told that I needed to be born again. I was told that I needed to be saved. And there's something that the father here of the prodigal says about his son. And it's down at the end of chapter 15 and verse 24 he says for this my son was dead now he wasn't dead he was away wasting his substance with riotous living but the father says this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and he says it again down in the last verse of the chapter it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. And what the word of God is teaching there is that the sinner, 
away from God is dead spiritually. Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to read the first first verse of that chapter to Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes this. And you hath he quickened, that is, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. Away from the Lord. No spiritual life. No desire for God. No desire for God's word. No desire for God's house. For God's people. Dead in trespasses and sins. That's what the father says about his son. And the apostle says it again when he writes to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. He says this. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Hath he quickened or made alive. So when I went to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord to wash me from my sin, to have mercy upon me and to save me. I was quickened. I was made alive spiritually. Before that point, I was dead spiritually. Dead in trespasses and sin. See, sin brings separation from God. You cannot live in sin and walk with the Lord. Whether you're saved or you're not saved. You could be a child of God. You could be living in sin. And you can't walk with the Lord. You can't do both. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed. That's what scripture says. And Isaiah. Isaiah says this in chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins has hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Sin, sin brings separation, and sin brings death. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. What you get for a lifetime of sin, you know, you get your wages for your work. You go to your work, you do your job, you get something in return. You get your wages. What you get for a life of sin is death. Physical death, worse, spiritual death. Separation from the Lord. That's what you get with sin. But praise God in Romans 6.23, it doesn't end that way. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, what I thought, what I was taught, what I believed growing up was I was saved based upon something that I did. It was my works. And if you don't believe that, I'll tell you about a little incident that took place not too long after I was saved. I hadn't been saved long, but... I began to study the Word of God. Immediately become coming saved, I had a desire to read the Scripture. And I did not have a Bible. I borrowed one from my mother. My mother had a white Bible in a box. And it sat on a dresser and was never touched, as far as I could tell, growing up. So that was the only way I knew there was a Bible, so I borrowed her Bible. 
And so I worked in a factory at the time. And so I would get on my lunch break, and I would get the Bible, and next to the factory there was a warehouse. So I'd go into the warehouse, and then in the warehouse there was a ladder up into a loft, and I would get alone, and I'd eat my lunch, and I would read the Word of God, and I had a notebook, and if any portion of Scripture stuck out to me, I would write it down and try to commit it to memory. And one of the things that really struck me was the number of verses where it talks about the need to be saved, I never heard it. So every time I saw one of those verses, I would write it and try to commit it to memory. But anyhow, I was out on the street one day, Township Line Road in Drexel Hill, and there was a nun waiting for a bus. So I'm thinking, oh, I need to go talk to her. So I'm thinking, you know, and I was, I was afraid. I mean, a stranger approaching a stranger is one thing, but approaching a nun, I mean... You know, so it took me a little while to get up my my courage. So I walked up to her and I said, "Excuse me, could you tell me how to get to heaven?" Well, she, obviously she was shocked. She was like, "What in the world is this? You know, this guy wanted me how to get to heaven." She didn't have an answer for me immediately. She had to think, and this is what she told me, word for word. It's a lifelong job. You really have to work at it. Now think about that for a minute. This is someone who was when I was in elementary school was teaching me. So if you're teaching me about how to get to heaven and you're telling me it's a lifelong job, you really have to work at it, how does that leave me? Still ignorant of God's righteousness. But what does the word of God say? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Again, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What? Boast in what? That you earned it and God owes it to you. No, God is no man's debtor. Titus 3. Let me read you that verse of scripture. The apostle Paul writes to Titus. He says this. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And there are many of other scriptures that we could turn to that tells us that we are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what Christ has done at Calvary. God gave his son to suffer, to bleed and die. Peter says he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. And I'm not going to have enough time to get through the things that I wanted to touch on. But I wanted to point one thing out that I didn't notice before. Whenever I had read John chapter 3, I always assumed that the Lord's conversation with Nicodemus ended when he had told them last time, you must be born again. I don't know why I, I thought that. I mean, the words of Christ, they go on until verse 21. That's all a conversation that the Lord is having with Nicodemus. There's no interruption here. After the 20 verse, verse it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples. So there, that ends the conversation with Nicodemus. So up until that 21st verse, of the third chapter, the Lord's talking to Nicodemus. 
when the, when the Lord tells him John three sixteen, that most well known gospel verse in the scripture, he's staying at the Nicodemus. The Lord is preaching the gospel to Nicodemus. God so loved the world. Verse fourteen, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What he is doing with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, is what the Lord did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Think about what Christ is saying here to Nicodemus. He tells him about Moses. Nicodemus was acquainted with Moses. He knew the scripture. Numbers 21, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He's doing to Nicodemus what he did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember Luke chapter 24, after the Lord was risen from the dead. And he comes upon two of his disciples. And he has a conversation with them. And he tells them in verse 25. O fools and slow of heart. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things. And entered into his glory. And listen what he says here. And beginning at Moses. And all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures. The things concerning himself. The Lord is interpreting the scripture for these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says it further down in the chapter, in verse 44. These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. Numbers was written by Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding, that they might understand the scripture. So the Lord Jesus Christ is interpreting Numbers 21 to Nicodemus. For some reason, I never noticed that before. And you're familiar with that portion of scripture in Numbers chapter 21. The people are murmuring against the Lord. They're murmuring against Moses. In verse 5, the people spake against God and against Moses. When you speak against the Lord's servant, you're speaking against the Lord. The people were discouraged because of the way. And listen to this as well. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loadeth this light bread. You understand what they're saying here? Their souls loatheth this light bread. They're speaking against Christ. What does that bread in the wilderness typify? But our Lord Jesus Christ, my Father gives you the true bread that come down from heaven. That's Christ. They were speaking against the Lord and they were speaking against his Christ just as they were doing in Psalm 2. They were murmuring against the Lord, murmuring against Christ. And so the Lord sends fiery serpents among them. Many were bitten and many died. So what was the solution? When the people had wanted to turn from their sin, just as the Lord said in John chapter 3, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Moses was commanded to put a brazen serpent upon a pole, and when they looked upon it, they'd be delivered. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must what? The Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up where? Lifted up on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ is interpreting the scripture to Nicodemus. Their sin in the wilderness brought death. 
That's true throughout all of Scripture. Sin brings death. That's what James said in James chapter 1. Lust when it has finished bringeth forth sin. Lust when it has conceived bringeth forth sin. Sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. That's what sin gets you. Sin gets you death. Deliverance comes from Christ. Christ crucified. Christ of Calvary. And I just want to jump ahead to 1 Peter because we're not going to have time to look at all these portions of Scripture. But I want to look at this portion of Scripture because it's not just in John chapter 3 where we are told that we need to be born again. It's also in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Peter says this, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed, you were not ransomed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. So how are you redeemed? With the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without spot and without blemish, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And then he says that in verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I like what Peter says there in verse 19 of that first chapter of 1 Peter. The precious blood of Christ. And over in chapter 2, he says it three times. Verse 4, Christ is precious. Verse 6, precious. Verse 7, precious. Christ is precious. His blood is precious. And just in closing, you probably recognize the reference there to verse 19. Verse 18, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You're probably well aware of the Exodus. God's people were in bondage in Egypt 400 years. The Lord's promised that he was going to deliver them. The time has come, and the Lord had brought the plagues upon Egypt. And the last plague that was brought upon Egypt was the death of the firstborn. Death of the firstborn. In every house in Egypt, the firstborn would die unless this took place. The lamb was slain. The blood was shed. It was applied to the doorpost and the lentil of the house. Exodus chapter 12. And with this we'll close. Exodus chapter 12. Because this is just like the Lord explained to Nicodemus, the serpent, what it meant being lifted up. Him, the gospel, the cross. The Passover is also gospel language. They were to take a lamb in Exodus chapter 12. And just like we read in 1 Peter, it was to be without blemish. And they were to kill it and apply the blood. And verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, 
and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's how you get Passover. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. That's gospel language. And it's still true today. Deliverance from death came through the blood. The blood of the lamb. Who's the lamb? It's Christ. You remember when John the Baptist first saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming, what were his words? Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Christ is the lamb of God. And looking at Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul says this, therefore being justified by faith, justified means declared to be innocent. That's a legal term. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We were guilty. I was guilty. My sin deserved death. But because of faith in Jesus Christ, I've been justified, declared to be innocent. Why? Because Christ paid the penalty for my sin at the cross. He bore my sin in his own body on the tree. So I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And look at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's the same message that we heard there in Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover and the lamb slain and the blood shed and the blood applied. Justified by the precious blood of Christ. Our time's gone. There were a couple other thoughts that I wanted to share, but that being said, just to give that brief word of my life, and as I said, maybe there are some people say, well, I didn't live that life. I didn't commit that sin. You know, I think of Rahab the harlot, and Rahab was saved. It was the same grace of God to save Rahab the harlot that saved that religious man, Saul of Tarsus. Same grace, same Christ, same cross, same sacrifice, same blood. So it doesn't matter if you're brought up in a Christian home and you apparently haven't lived a life of outward sin, you still need Christ. Makes no difference. You might say, oh, I've walked upright in God's law. I haven't broken most all the commandments. I've kept all of these, or maybe I've broken one or two. But you know what the, the Word of God says. If you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. You've broken one, you've broken them all in God's sight. So I would trust that a brief word of testimony would be an encouragement. And it is my desire. John said it in 1 John. He had no greater desire to know that his children walk in truth. Walk in truth, the truth of the word of God. Thankful to the Lord for his love for us 
if you could think that he would love us to the extent that he would give his dearly beloved son to think of what Christ suffered for his people. You know, we just came through Christmas season. We give a lot of thought to the birth of Christ, the incarnation. Think about the life that he lived. Think upon the things that he suffered. When you read upon the things that he suffered there, it's hard to read. They smote him. They spat upon him. They crucified him. And he did that to save his people from their sins. So I trust that if you know the Lord, the gospel will be a fresh blessing to your soul. And if there's never been that time where you've turned from your sin and called upon the Lord for mercy, that the Lord would even draw you to himself. Our Father, we thank thee. We thank thee for thy word. Thy word is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, Search the scriptures. O Lord, that we may have the heart of those people there in Berea who, Lord, looked into the scriptures and searched them diligently to know whether or not those things were so. Lord, allow us not to go on our own way in mercy and in grace. We pray, Lord, and for the glory of your name and, Lord, for the good of men and women, for young people, that you would save, save, Lord, the lost. Thankful, Lord, that there are those perhaps who are not seeking for thee but yet still we would find thee. Thank thee for the grace of God, for the mercy, Lord, shown even unto my own soul. Trust, Lord, that thou would bless thy word. Lord, send us on our way. Give us a greater love for thee, a greater love for the word of God and for the house of God and the people of God. And we trust, Lord, that thou will send us on our way rejoicing. Take of our thanks. We pray that all the glory all the praise and all the honor would go into that precious and worthy name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is in his name that we do pray. Amen. Amen.